Welcome to Fuji Love. This is the show that is all about the Fujifilm X-Series and GFX cameras, but more importantly, it's about the photographers who love to use them. I'm Mark Sadowski, and this show is brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, whether it's news, interviews, and so much more, head on over to fujilove.com. Subscribe today. And now, on with the show. My guest this week is Joe Allen. Joe is, uh, for I think, doesn't need any kind of expl- uh, explanation. He's pretty uh, well-known photographer. He is a amazing travel photographer. Uh, you can find him on YouTube uh, and all uh, all sorts of social media. Joe, great to have you on the show, man. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's nice to be here, and always happy to uh, chat through photography and all sorts and uh, appreciate your kind words at the start there. Very nice. Thank you. <laughs> um, you have been a guest on uh, Fuji Love uh, a while ago. Uh, I, I wasn't uh, around during those times, but uh, I'm excited to, to chat with you now. Uh, you have uh, an amazing channel, by the way. Thank you. Uh, it is, uh, I think, the what you present to everybody it, it is a great zen experience where you're you're out in different parts of the world just doing the very best uh best uh, travel photography i mean it, it is snapshots but but uh, a, a level up from that it, it's it's kind of like the <laughs> As I like to put it, it's the dream that we all want to do. Um, and, of course, there's more to it, which I'm sure. Uh, but, yeah, your your shows are just great photography, and the rewatchability is just uh, amazing because of the, the mood that you set in there. And I got to ask, the first thing um, that, that is coming to mind is that your most recent trip to Bangkok, um, post COVID, how, how has, how has that been? How, how has the pandemic, uh, affected your, uh, way of making a living online since the majority of stuff that I see is travel related? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, from, from the get go, um, I'll be, bluntly honest and say it's been awful (laughs) it's been uh catastrophic um in terms of uh business finances and and everything uh if i'm truly honest right now i'm probably in in maybe the the worst situation i've been since starting the channel um but on the flip side of that the the sort of break away from travel um has just fueled that passion like no end it's uh originally when when covid happened and i was actually um i went on a trip to morocco uh just as things were like really starting to get gnarly in in europe and yeah uh it it developed fast quicker than i thought and if i'm genuinely honest um i actually thought going to morocco was the safest place to be it felt safer being there than it did being in the uk um so it was, it, that in itself 
was a bit of an escape. Um, and I know a lot of people talk of travel as an escape. And I was like, that in that sense, genuinely felt like it was it was an escape from from the issues. Um, yeah. But uh, when when we came back and, and we cut the, sh- uh, the trip short and we had a, an emergency sort of like uh, return back and that in itself was was stressful and and uh, a uh, dramatic experience that ended up being quite anticlimactic because we just eventually just walked into a, an airport, got a ticket, and went home. Um, but the the build up to that was was very dramatic. Yeah. And uh, and when I arrived back home, you know what? I was comfortable. I thought I've travelled a lot over the last few years or so. Um, there are plenty of other people who only get to take a holiday, you know, once a year or even even that is fortunate. Um, and so when travel started to kind of open up a little bit that summer, 2020, I, I wasn't going to participate in it. I know that there were chances to fly to places and, and other stuff, but I thought, you know what, this, this is not the time for me. Uh, I'm just happy to take a break as it went on further. And then into the summer of 2021, um, got to the point where I was like, okay, I, I really miss travel. Like travel yeah. is such a big part of my life. And, uh, I, I get so much inspiration from just living and exploring in different cultures and different places. Um, and then there's photography inspiration as well of, of just, um, you know, seeing things that I'm not used to, you know, it's experiencing a, a different visual aesthetic that I didn't grow up with. Um, and so when I eventually did get to travel and the first trip out was, uh, Malta in October 21, um, and that was just like a, a short trip. Um, oh, is my microphone going? It's a bit odd. Eh. You sound all right. Okay, that's it's coming out horrible on my ears. That's uh, okay. There we go. Maybe just adjust my cable. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the um, the the trip to Malta was an incredible sort of like reawakening of this is what travel means to me, and I I felt night and day different from from how I was in London um but I knew that the the experience of travel wasn't like what we're used to doing uh, which is long term long distance we were only in Malta for like 12 days or so yeah so we went to Thailand and that was a six week trip um that we ended up extending and it was just incredible to it almost from the point of landing and just being somewhere else that overwhelming sort of feeling of this is exactly where I need to be. Um, yeah, it, it just, it runs through my blood and, uh, I, I don't know if I can ever properly explain what travel means to someone unless they themselves are a frequent traveler. Um, because without it, it's just, it's like a huge chunk of me is just ripped from my heart. And I think you can even tell in the videos, um, like I'm not gonna lie, I've been kind of uninspired and potentially even depressed in in London over the last couple of years. I think a large proportion of us have been, and uh, travel is is a great sort of drug to uh, to remedy that. Um, it's yeah, it's it's my personal antidote, um, and I hope other people are able to find their connection to uh, to get themselves out of those little holes. <laughs> when you find yourself abroad um would you say that you're a traveler first photographer second or um is or or do you go out to to seek the 
the the the adventure, the difference, photographing uh, and considering yourself a a photographer first, traveler second. Yeah. Like, wh- wh- where is the mentality uh, yeah, it's, in? It's an in- interesting one um, because to to throw in a, a third aspect there is: Am I a filmmaker or photographer or traveler? Oh, there you go. Or yeah, am I YouTuber or filmmaker? You know, it's it's all sorts of different things. Um, and I I flip flop around uh, in my head of where I sit on that. Um, and I think if I really reach in deep down. Um, I think travel is is the main sort of lifeblood for me. Um, I've always been creative. Uh, I've always had cameras with me growing up. Um, I mean, one of my earliest photos of me, I'm, a, I'm about, I don't know, three years old or something, um, and I've got a camera. I don't know whose camera it is, but I'm, I'm just holding a camera. I'm just playing around with it. And so I've just always wanted to sort of capture things and document them. Um, and travel has always been a big passion of mine. I didn't get to travel a bunch when I was younger, um, but as I got older and you know started having jobs myself, and then I was like, "Well, I'm going to fund this, and I'm going to, you know, do that because that's where I want to go and what I want to do." Um, and so, as much as I did have trips, they were, you know, uh, every couple of years or so, every few years, I wasn't able to to always travel. And I was envious of friends at school who were seemingly going away somewhere every break. Um, and so that was sort of like a, uh, a deep sort of love of mine. It was like this, this drive. Um, and then photography is, is a way of just capturing that and documenting it. And likewise, so is filmmaking, um, and then sharing it all combined as a way of, you know, I, I make the videos for me, um, first and foremost, and on the, on the face of it, that sounds horrendously arrogant. But uh, I I make the videos because they're videos that I want to watch back in later life. I want to, you know, remember my experiences and stuff. Um, and putting them out, it they seem to resonate with other people. And I think this is where it it has that that vibe that you're you're sort of enjoying. Yes, because they're they are just genuine travel stories. Um, and there's photography thrown in there as a different media to you know to showcase it with. Um, and so you're seeing the video, you're seeing the photos, you're hearing the stories of my partner, Ellie and I, and, uh, it just all fits together. But these are because they're stories that I want to tell to myself later in life. You know, I don't necessarily want to watch the videos and start to teach people how to take photos, for example, because when I watch it later on, I don't need to know that if I knew it then I don't need to know it later. You know, I don't need that, that sort of like, um, tutoring aspect to the videos. Uh, which I think is is something that a lot of people do question sometimes. They're like, "Oh, I wish you could, you know, just share a little bit more on on how you capture stuff." And it's like, I I can, but at the same time, I don't want the channel to to fall down that direction because then it ends up being more and more work based. And I feel like I've come far enough to really hold back from it feeling like I'm I'm pushing it for a for a work or a business. Like, yes, it, it is a business, but it's um, I'm able to stay just this side of the line uh, where I'm not forcing things for the sake of, you know, getting better business and, and other stuff. Um, I would agree with that. In fact, the photography uh, feels like your anchoring point for for your storytelling. It, it is kind of like uh, 
to use a photography term, the, the photography is the the tripod in which you have uh, have your narrative uh, being presented. It, it is, um, and and it just builds from there. You don't even need to know what kind of camera you you have uh, in the narrative. Just that you're photographing and and experiencing everything yeah to that point what kind of camera are you using (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, i I just wanted to put that out of the way with the fuji film i'm using a a whole host of different cameras all the time um predominantly i'm shooting photos with a xt4 uh favorite lens that is frequently on the camera is the 35 mil f2 nice Uh, second lens that is on the camera potentially even you know 50 percent or, or so um but i still wouldn't class it as anywhere near my favorite lens it, it's just it's a versatile lens and that's the 16 to 80 f4 um and i say that because it 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 does the job and it does the job well but i don't have that emotional connection to it like i do the 35 mil f2 um it's just something about that small lens and how sharp it is and just the quality of it and you know the the form factor really fits Fuji shooting for me. Um, yeah. Doing a lot of street based stuff and and urban things. The sixteen to eighty, it's it's sharp. It it produces great images. Uh, the range is great, especially all the way up to eighty. I I enjoy that. Uh, F four is it's all right. Um, it's it's not amazing, but it's not bad. Um, sixteen is potentially a little too wide for me sometimes, um, but that's fine. I I don't care about that. Um, but then this is where it comes on to my second point, which is, so when I, when it comes to making video, um, I'll use the Canon R5 and a lot of people always say, is like, why don't you just use video on Fuji? But the truth is I don't like video on Fujifilm. Um, I do like the quality, uh, when the conditions are right, when everything's set manually, the picture is beautiful. It looks great. It, you know, it's a great picture. So yeah, video on Fuji and, and my style of shooting, it just, there are, there are too many times where issues happen and, you know, it could be that if I'm using uh, an auto function of any sort on the camera, it could be auto ISO, it could be auto focus. Uh, there's always something that is just not as smooth. You know, the, the exposure steps quite often. Um, so if I'm just filming outwardly, the first second is fine and then it just steps a little bit brighter and it does it almost every single clip and I don't know why. Um, all of those are, are kind of firmware related but the the thing that really gets in the way for me is actually the lenses. Um, I just don't think they're designed well enough for video and the 16 to 80 in particular um, it's the complete opposite of par focal. So from 16 mil you could have it in focus you zoom into 80 and it is completely out of focus everything. It's, it's not yeah. even like a hair you know, wrong. It's it's the complete opposite par focal. Um, that doesn't bother me that much because I rarely actually show a zoom within my video. Uh, I'll quite often cut the actual zooming process and I'll just show the two clips front and uh, a longer version. But it slows me down, and that's something that's that's frustrating. Um, for photography, it doesn't really matter, but for video, that type of thing really does matter. And then there's just the feel of the lenses. And again, things like the 35 f2, it's a small lens. It's great for photography. It's portable. But when it comes to video, if you want to manual override the focus and other things, they're just, they don't feel the same. Um, and that's where I really enjoy Canon lenses um, and Lumix lenses. 
Uh, and I, th- I think video has so much more feeling to it at times. Um, I'm not sure if everyone really will get that, but when you do it, you maybe you maybe understand it. Yeah, I mean, everybody's going to approach it uh, approach it differently. And, and in fact, you, you know, you, you, to your point, you're right. The the older Fuji lenses uh, were not really uh, made for for video. Uh, the it, it isn't until I think the, the most recent uh, round of uh, hardware uh, they're really gearing it towards. Uh, uh, the the video side, if, for example, the the new prime lenses, the eighteen millimeter, mm-hmm. the thirty three millimeter, the, those should all be playing real nice with uh, the newer resolution cameras and uh, the newer firmware, and uh, and should track better. Uh, I mean, if if what they say is uh, correct. Yeah, um, I think the the newer lenses definitely do have more of a, a direction for it, um, and likewise, even the cameras, uh, the XH2, for example, you know, has been a, a long rumored camera has finally um, been showcased, and there's some design direction in there that I personally don't agree with, but I understand where it it sits on the video side of things because. As much as I love all the dials and everything on a on a Fuji camera, um, it's highly impractical for video. It's uh, it creates a system where you have your dials and everything set for photography, and then your video. You could use the dials if you want, but it's it's not beneficial because when you shoot in video, your shutter speed has to be different. Your um, you know just settings are different, and if you're switching between photos and videos, too many things. There's too many chances that things could go wrong. Yeah, and so. They created a like a digital version where your video is using the uh, the spin dials, the like the thumb dial and, and whatever, and photography is using the top dials. But um, that that also is prone to error because you can switch between them. And I do this frequently if I'm I do film with the Fuji, uh, especially if it's just the only camera I'm holding. And I'll get some clips, and then you know afterwards I look down at the screen, and I realize, oh man, I didn't realize I was set at like f sixteen when yeah. I didn't need to be um, because I was feeling the lens at f4 or or whatever. Um, but for, for some reason, the video was at f16 because maybe the day before I was doing some video and didn't have an ND filter on and, and whatever. And then those last clips that I got, they were at f16 and I might have been indoors. And so then the ISOs whacked up massive. Um, it's just little errors like that that just happened because the the feeling is not there um and i'm i'm so drawn to the feeling when it comes to usability of cameras uh and so it, it's a double-edged sword because that's exactly what drew me to fujifilm in the first place uh the feeling of it with uh taking photos my first experience was with an xt10 um and then an x2 oh, nice. and then xt2 x100f um had the xh1 from from launch and uh and then the xt4 so I, I'm very much drawn to the feeling of it. Um, but throughout all of that, uh, not one of them has felt comfortable for me for video. Um, and I, I think that says a lot. <laughs> Are you curious to see if the X-H2 would be an improvement? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm always open to, uh, to try and different models, different brands and, and other things. Um, 
I, I would just hope that the, uh, the user experience uh, is there. One thing that's kind of curious, actually, um, is they've removed the photo video switch that's on the X-T4, which I think was one of the best additions they actually made um, because it made it so easy to switch between photo and video and then you know all those other parameters I mentioned where there are extra things to change. You just had that one switch that, um, that was one less thing to worry about. Or rather, you could do it with one hand because it's on the right side of the camera. Previously, uh, you had to change the left side of the dial. I think that was the, I think on the X-H1. Yeah, it's yeah. on the left side. Um, and the X-H2, it doesn't look like it's got a photo video switch. I'm, I might be wrong on that, but in all the... I could have sworn there was... I, I think it was in a different spot. Um, I, I, uh, I mean, I could check, but that would mean going out of my windows <laughs> that I have set up here. Um, yeah, they've got a dedicated, uh, yeah, there's a dedicated record button. Yeah. Perhaps that, you know, is a, is a way around it where you, you then don't have to switch. You just press record. Um, but the difficulty with that is from the moment you press record, that's the moment where you find out what your settings were. Yeah. And so <laughs> if you had it wrong, uh, you, the first part of your clip is going to be realizing you've got it wrong, changing it and adjusting it. Uh, whereas if you had that switch, you could go into the mode and think, ah, oh, I'm at F22. Don't need to be at F22 um, because that's where the video was last set at. So yeah, th those types of usability things uh, on my mind all the time. And uh, another thing actually, which is, you know, not that we want to have personal digs and gripes or whatever, but the, the position of the eye cup and the screen that pops out Less of an issue on um, rational and fully articulating, it's still an issue. Uh, if you've got the screen flat to the back of the camera, when you press record, the red flashing light is right below where the eye cup is. And so where the eye cup overhangs, if you're shooting from the hip, you can't actually see that it's recording. There's just no way of seeing that red light. And so you have to adjust your body position, therefore making the shot a bit unstable just to check if you actually did press record or if you, you know, accidentally got it the wrong way around. Um, just little things like that. Uh, to me, what I enjoy is, uh, and you see this on Panasonic and on Sony cameras, it does a massive red border around the screen to say, this video is recording. You're not an idiot. You've pressed the button. <laughs> and <laughs> those little visual cues and aids uh, really do help. Um, and yeah, it's... You know, it's little things like that that really add up um, into the the usability and, and functionality of it. Because on paper, um, everything kind of you know sits and and looks amazing for video. And I could say the same with uh, with Sony and other brands, and likewise with Canon. There are many things on paper with Canon that just don't sound like a good idea. Um, yet in usability, it seems to to work well for my shooting style. So, yeah. Uh, I definitely go by feeling on it. Right on, and um, and then when going back to the the, the lenses for for your photography, um, you are the first person that uh, I, I spoke with that loves the f two more than the one point four. Is there a reason for that? Like, what what do you have you tried the one point four? Um, yep. Uh, yeah, so I I tried the 35 1.4. Where did the magic go? <laughs> on an XT2, 
Uh, actually, no, sorry. That was I had the 23 mil 1.4, um, oh. which had the the clutch focus design. Um, I I love the feeling of that lens. Um, I enjoy the images that came out of it. However, at the time, and this this could also be that because it was with an XT2, um, it felt so slow in terms of autofocus. And yeah. It was noisy as well. It, it, I mean, I was borrowing it from Fujifilm Australia at the time. So it was, it was pretty well used and had been lent out to multiple people, I'm sure. Um, but it, it was grinding on the way that the focus moved and other stuff. Um, whereas the F2 lens, uh, they felt silent. They felt rapid. Um, they were weather sealed as well. I'm not sure. Sh- I think the, the 1.4 is not a weather sealed lens correct if i remember correctly yep um so the weather sealing is a, a massive factor for me and then there's just portability like i can carry a 23 a 35 a 50 and if i had the 80 um or is it the 90 more i forget um if i had all of those combined and, yeah they're Ooh, yeah they're like next to nothing in terms of weight like you really don't notice when you're carrying any like really you can um you can have so much versatility they are and, uh, tiny. Yeah, they're, they're just so great. And, and F2 is wide enough for the most part. Um, if I was doing portraiture, then potentially, you know, at distance, 1.4 could be a little better. But again, you get too close and then suddenly half the face is out of focus. It's um, There is a, a limit to how wide I think you should take your aperture for a lot of the time. Just because you've got 1.4 doesn't mean you should always use it. Um, but I will agree that the picture quality from it is incredible it's beautiful um but likewise i think the f2s they get overlooked because you know they they look pretty cheap um to some extent like from a distance they kind of look a bit maybe plasticky they look small they don't look beefy um their price point in comparison to say similar offerings from other manufacturers is actually a lot cheaper as well so it just it screams kit lens and it's really not but they're such tanks yeah, they're they're incredible. Um, like I've taken them through the rain, I've smashed them about in you know baggage without padding and all sorts. They take a beating and uh, they just keep delivering. Um, and that thirty-five mil in particular on APS-C, um, it's just a view that I I enjoy. It, it works for urban and the things that I take interest in outwardly. They just match up with the thirty-five. Yeah. Have you have you used the thirty three uh, by by this time? Uh, no, I've not. No, I've I've not used anything new from Fujifilm for about two years or so. Um, like I was actually I was part of the X one hundred V launch. Uh, they invited me. Fujifilm Japan specifically asked for me um, to be a part of the launch, which happened to be in London in twenty twenty. However, I I wasn't given early access to the camera. I had it like the night before and was told that I couldn't take it out to shoot. Um, mm-hmm. And so even then, like the X100V, I've, I've held it and I've, I've shot with it in, in my little office, but I've not taken it out anywhere. Um, and then since then, I've, I've, not, I've not had any, any real hands-on experience with anything new other than the X-T4, which I bought um, about eight, ten months later. Um, yeah, so I've not tried any of the new lenses or anything, really. Are they good? I I love the 33 millimeter. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people will still swear by the 
the old 35 millimeter. Yep. And I think it just blows it out of the water. Okay. Um, the way I look at it is um, the, the 35 millimeter, the first 35 millimeter 1.4, that's the Godfather. And then the, this new 33 millimeter, it's the Godfather part two. It's, I see. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's its own set of magic uh, yeah. that, that I absolutely adore. And uh, it, it's, it, I hate to say it, but like, you're spot on with, with the uh, assessment that the 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 original one is a little bit on the slow side, and you just end up nailing more photos with mm. the 33. Yeah. And like, it's a, as much as I love the old one, the this new lens is just miles ahead, and mm. it, it can't be denied. You, is it anybody who lighter or is it similar weight? I don't notice the weight. It, okay. it is a little bit heavier, but again, it's it's if you're using the XT4, then it's negligible. Your center of balance is not going to be any different. Yeah, because that that has been a, a noticeable thing that I've seen with Fujifilm is um, this idea of like portability and and small size is slowly like evaporating it's um there's there's less smaller lenses uh being sort of released and it's it's kind of interesting and i i thought this was going to happen to be honest when mirrorless came about that one of the biggest selling points for uh mirrorless in comparison to dslr was they're smaller they're lighter and i just thought well what happens when the technology gets better that you end up having to make them as big as dslrs again granted the camera and the tech is going to be incredibly uh, improved upon uh, based on the DSLR, but this idea of making them smaller is going to be less of a, a selling point because they will just fill the available space. Like we obviously got comfortable holding DSLRs because they sold and they worked, and so we're just going to return to that. You can't change uh, human anatomy of hands being smaller and other things. So yeah, I think Fuji are, are kind of following similar steps where people are okay carrying bigger lenses and making the cameras bigger um but there's a part of me that's kind of sad about that because i i do love the uh the form factor of uh of the fuji cameras there's something just really nice about how casual they are um, yeah i think well look at it from this point of view like the very early mirrorless cameras they were all none of them were full frame so it allowed them to be smaller mm -hmm. and they, they weren't looking to, none of them could compete with, uh, with, with, uh, a, a regular DSLR with the flappy mirrors. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it, it was a new technology still, you know, still kind of getting its feet wet. And, uh, and then, the, for some reason, like I still don't, from my point of view, I, I still don't understand how we vilified the mirror so quickly mm. <laughs> in, in the, the DSLRs because, like the 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 so called improvement that we would get from mirrorless, like if you were a true professional, you you really didn't need 
to see a preview of your photo mm-hmm. um, when you knew what you were doing. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, I, um, I, I actually think about this a lot. Um, and my, my perspective, like retrospectively, uh, looking at that is I feel like in the, in the era of like the 2010s, um, we were still very naive into how the internet was working, even yeah. though the internet had, you know, had been popularized for at least, uh, 10 years or so of, of most people having, you know, good access at home. Um, from 2010 onwards, like Instagram only came out 2010. We, we felt like we had a good hand on how things were working, but I think we were actually super naive to knowing just how much more information could be thrown at us. And over those next 10 years, the marketing like spiel that came thrown our way from, from all angles on things just created such noise and such like divisive opinions. And I, I think divisive opinion is is at its worst point ever right now across everything. Uh, you're either you're either one way or you're the other. There's no on the fence opinion to stuff, um, and I think that's that's something I struggle with because I'm I'm very on the fence about a lot of things. I, I contemplate a lot of stuff. I put myself in other perspectives, and it also means that I stagnate on decision. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. I think what happened with the mirrorless world is it was a case of if you got on board with it you were on board and you were shouting about mirrorless and it was, you know, the greatest and best thing. And you, you were deaf ears, um, to anything that was wrong with it. And likewise, if you stuck with DSLR, you were sticking with it as a traditionalist. And, you know, this was the way in that mirrorless was useless and was never going to take over. But the truth was, it was, it was neither here nor there. You were kind of, you needed to be one way in the middle. Um, and that took, I'd say, a, a good 10 years or so. Um, and the, the same thing happened with opinions on brands where, you know, the wars of Canon and Nikon um, for however many decades then became Sony versus everyone else um, because of the way that it was spoken about via the internet. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it's interesting to look back retrospectively because um, you just, you realize like, ah, oh, we didn't know how how the message was going to develop further. We didn't know how the internet was really going to spread over those 10 years. Um, and likewise, we may be in the same situation now in another 10 years, we might look back and think, wow, we really underestimated how information was moving around. Um, I think there were two, for, for digital photography, there were two pivotal moments that were, out of people, uh, out of the camera company's control, uh, the, the the mirrorless revolution that was uh, the the second time that uh, photography kind of changed and it was going into a new direction. But the first one, I have to say, is happened because of Vincent Lafare with his. Mm-hmm. Uh, his uh, movie that he did, his short film that he did with the uh, 5D Mark II. Mm-hmm. I think that was the very first one that just opened people's eyes and as, as to what digital photography can do. And now you had the, 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 the merging of uh, photography and video yep. where before, before that video, 
never the two shall meet. Like they, they, mm-hmm. there, there was some handshaking involved. Yeah, yep. do some video. That's fine. You, but, but, uh, man, when he came out with that video, that just blew the doors off uh, everybody's brains. <laughs> yeah, I mean that era in particular. I mean the uh, the five D Mark II and the the seven, the original seven D. Um, they just they brought video to the masses. I mean, we'd had handy cams and and other and you know going way back to like Super Eight and other things, but they they were always dedicated video cameras. Um, and I, I think you know I don't have the stats on it, but I think there were more people in life who took photos than made videos. Um, yep. That's maybe different now, um, but that definitely was a big turning point because suddenly it was you know video was on the scene. Um, and what I find really funny about the whole uh, debates that people have in the, the sort of extreme opinions of I'm a photographer, I don't need video features and you know other people screaming that this camera doesn't have certain video feature or something. I don't think people on either side ever really appreciated how much the opposite actually helped their camera. Yes. By cameras adopting better video features, it meant that the processing power was greater on the cameras and therefore your camera for photography suddenly became better. You had better autofocus, you had better exposure control, the, the you know difference in, say, flickering for indoor sports um, of the lights and stuff all came from video technology. And it, it's just interesting how, um, how different that, that sort of uh, approach could have been if more people were open to their cameras having video rather than just saying, oh, can you make a photo only version? It's like, that, that's not going to happen. It's, it's the same processor in there. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> I, it's, it's that reason alone. I can't, read comment sections in in a lot of places it's just just the amount of the amount of so-called engineers in there is 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 just Mm -hmm. just amazing (laughs) yeah definitely um yeah it's but the that that era with the the 5d mark ii and and the 7d um i i unfortunately timed that terribly um so i i had a canon 350d uh it was my first dslr and i was uh how old was i at the time i was 15 i think and uh god i'm old i i <laughs> bought that um off of uh off the back of doing some some website design um interestingly it was a, a brief that was given to me by my science teacher he was a web developer in, in his spare time and uh, he couldn't take it on so he passed it on to me and then i I built this website almost to the day of getting paid for it. I went out and bought a DSLR. I knew exactly what I was going to get. Um, and then two or three years into, you know, taking photography seriously, I wanted to upgrade my camera and, uh, the 50 D had come out like, uh, three, maybe four months earlier. Um, and I was super yep. excited for it. Like it, it had such a pro feel to it. Like it, it was a full, magnesium alloy and uh for those who may have used the 50d it was um it was a solid build the 60d unfortunately not so much the 70d even less so uh but the 50 was special the 50 um, was good i've but then, I used that as a backup back in the yeah it was it was a tank it was a a real workhorse um and i think it was six months later the 7d came out and that had video um and then i forget if the 5d mark ii came out before the 70 i, I want to say the 7d came out first but i'm I'm not 100 sure i don't um, remember 
but either way it, that had video and you know by this point i was like a i was an 18 year old and i i couldn't afford to buy a new camera i didn't need to buy a new camera i was also heavily invested in photography but there was a part of me that just always wanted to to make video and um i mean i look back now and i think like if i'd have waited and i'd bought the 70 i probably would have started a youtube channel way earlier um and i may have even had a youtube channel then from like 2010 at the real sort of like growth of uh of when youtube was popularizing massively uh i was watching a lot of youtube back then i was watching all sorts of vloggers and that was what started my inspiration it took me another four years until i eventually turned the camera on myself and that was because i bought the 70d so <laughs> it um you know it, it was me just not having access to video um and so you're right when it when it came to uh adding video it was suddenly it just unlocked opportunity um yeah it's it's just crazy how far it's come and you know when whenever we talk about tech like this start to feel like a bit of a grandpa but it's nice to have been there for that journey oh you're you're talking to grandpa right now um you can't be there just yet um so so when you started your your channel um what were some of the first videos that you that you made? So I I started my channel um, with a a sort of key principle in mind. So I um, so my main sort of career background is actually in design. Um, yeah. So I my last full time job I was a digital designer at Burberry, and I I felt like such a small cog. I you know I was churning out graphics and I was doing interface design and like retail point of sale design and other stuff. And it, it wasn't the most, uh, exciting work and I, I got bored. Um, and so I, I wanted to do something else. And by this point I'd been doing photography for about eight years or so. Um, and it's always just been on the side, just, you know, fun in the background weekends, whatever. And I'd, I'd go out and I'd, I don't know, find an event happening in London or, um, you know, like the London marathon or, or something like that. And I would take my camera and I would just, you know, play around. But I never really got much work for my photography. And so I thought, I I want to start a YouTube channel and I want to go freelance with my design work and I'll start my own company. So I left Burberry, started a, a company as a as a freelancer, um, and at the same time launched my YouTube channel so that I could post videos about photography in the hopes that it may get picked up by someone who'd then want to hire me for some photography. And maybe over time, I could transition to doing less design work, more photography work, um, and YouTube would just be a fun way of, of bridging it in between. Uh, by this point, I'd been watching a lot of YouTubers who were doing it full time as well. So that was also kind of in the back of my mind that, that things could develop and grow. Um, but it, it definitely wasn't, it didn't feel like a realistic idea to say, oh, I'll, I'll end up doing YouTube most of the time. I was like, no. I'm still going to still going to be pitching for design work. I'm still going to be, you know, doing photography, but I'm hoping I can start to get paid for my photography. And so those early videos were me making doing the work that I wanted to be hired for. So I was going to things like the half marathon. Um I was going out and uh taking photos of the the cycling and you know, it was a bit of a theme of like sports photography. I was doing a lot of that. Um and I was sharing my journey of 
how I was approaching my day. And so it was like the life of an events photographer. Um, and that worked. I did get hired for photography work um, and people saw it and I focused on that. I didn't make videos at those events because I was being paid for the photography work. Um, but then it, it became a tricky thing because I was like, well, then how do I get hired again? Well, I need to do video. But then this is the video that I'm, you know, not focusing on because I'm focusing on the photography. Um, and so it, it transitioned and it kind of merged into a point where it became like a, a circular brief of myself where I would effectively like hire myself to go and, you know, I'd set myself a brief and I'd go and take the photos and, and make a video of, of taking those photos and doing everything like that. Um, and then when I went traveling, uh, when was that? 2016, um, Ellie and I decided that we were going to go traveling, live in Australia and didn't really know how long we were going to go for. Um, that was a big push because the channel had grown traction. I think we left and I had about 5,000 subscribers by this point. Um, and I just said to myself, I was like, when and if we come back, I don't want to go back to having an office job. I don't want to go back to to designing for someone else in a studio and dealing with, you know, all sorts of clients and direction that I'm I'm just I'm done with that. I'm tired of that. Um I like where YouTube's going. I like where the photography's going. And photography was always like a, a bigger passion of mine. As much as I love design, um, I think subconsciously, I always knew that it's very, very difficult to have a career in photography. Um, it's a little bit easier to have a career in design. And so um, it just became like the the slightly easier of two difficult options. Yeah. Um, and so YouTube was a, a real bridging factor um, because it allowed me to to do the photography. It allowed me to make video, which I was getting very interested in and, and excited by, and I always wanted to learn more. So I started the channel as a way to teach me how to improve my video work. Um, then I started to introduce travel, which was a lifelong passion, uh, all kind of, you know, started to work together. And then as I was working on my website and, and other things, I was able to tick those design itches and, and work on those things. Um, Doing web development as well was a was another passion, but I was like, I'm I'm not going to make this one a job. This one is already <laughs> too stressful on its own. Um, I'm happy with just having photography and design be the the paid things. Um, but it it all came full circle where I was able to to do all of these things um, that all supported each other and and helped build what is my like online brand, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's very fun to be involved with it. And uh, as as the travel went on, by the end of that year, so we left in January, by the December of that year, I think I was at around 40,000 subscribers or so. That's um, and then uh, we came back middle of the, the following year um, and I was like, 60 70,000 or something and then by the end of that year I was up to 100 and it that was a, a real period of explosive growth um and I think one of the driving factors to it was this real desire that I I want to make these videos documenting our personal travels so at this point they were all funded personally so we'd saved up from you know design work and other jobs and everything um and so there was like this real investment that we'd put in and also this desire that when I come back, I, I just do not want to work in an office again. I'm going to make this work. Um, and we did, uh, potentially 
a little bit sooner than what was comfortable. Um, so the the first six months or so after coming back were were pretty tight. Um, but then from 2018 onwards, we're able to sort of, you know, make it a little bit more comfortable. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's it's. I wouldn't say it's necessarily been easy, um, but it's been it's been fairly fluid up until 2020. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, as as you'll probably know, that Japan is a, a major focus uh, for me on the channel. Um, it's a uh, yeah, it's a it's a huge what I like to call like a character of the channel. We go to Japan uh, in a normal year. We we'd spend you know a fair number of months each year in Japan. Um, I have a deep connection and love for the inspiration I get with uh, photography there. The videos seem to be the most authentic um, and the most uh, enjoyed by the audience. And so there was a long strategy um, leading up to 2020 that 2020 was going to be the big Japan year, uh, of course, for the Olympics, but also um, for us personally on everything that were, you know, we were tying in with that. And the government were introducing Japan to so many more people and tourism was just doubling every year, pretty much. It was it was explosive. And so everything leading up to 2020 and then for 2020 to go the way it did was just a much, much harder fall than I think, you know, we expected or that other people have maybe experienced as well. Um, and even, you know, still now it's coming up three years and we've still not been back to Japan. That's a long time to have a, a big sort of uh, thing missing from the channel and from inspiration and other stuff. Um, now, yeah. When when will you be able to go back? I, I'm I'm unfamiliar with their uh, travel restrictions right now. Uh, it's it's still blocked. Um, so the the borders are open for business travel, uh, of which we're we're trying to get um, some business travel, but you have to be invited by a company, um, which we have plenty of connections, and you know we're we're trying to work together on projects. But yeah, if there was only one in particular, that would be it. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> for some reason it's just delayed and difficult. It's yeah. um, I mean, it's it's very typical of Japan that there's a lot of paperwork, there's a lot of procedure and workflow, and we have people in Japan helping us and. And doing that, but it's it's just reaching dead ends. They're like, well, you know, they can't even get a login, for example, to apply for the business visa. It's, it's those types of blockades. Um, as an individual traveler, you are unable to visit. But if you go on a package tour, that has been open for the last three or four weeks or so. The trouble is that doesn't really suit us very well. We don't really want to, you know, pay over the odds to to go and. Uh, on a package tour that you are kind of guided along every step of the way. Um, and I would and imagine then, heavily restricted to do. It feels restrictive. Things. It's yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't suit us in the photography sense and other things. Um, and also the, the cost of it is, you know, we're, we're having to be incredibly tight uh, on a lot of things, both personally whilst we're living here, you know, essentially off of reserves of, uh, the last, you know, two years or so. Yeah. Um, and so if we do go to Japan, it, it has to be the right type of investment. Um, hoping, predicting that uh, independent travel may resume by the end of the summer. Um, they just had an election 
which has kind of settled things politically, I guess. Because um, I think there was a, a chance that they didn't want to waver their support for people by opening the borders. Because um, I think there is there's quite a lot of internal support to have them closed. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very very tricky. Um, and then the you know the the complete personal side of it is all of Ellie's family are in Japan and um, she's not been able to see them. Uh, she would have to apply uh, on different, you know, passports. She's got a British passport and um, they, yeah, it's, it's a very lengthy um, and very frustrating thing. <laughs> but, I can't you know, we're, we're waiting. Yeah. And then it kind of puts things in perspective uh, to see how much hoops that even Fujifilm has to jump through mm-hmm. uh, to to do their presentations, um, and, and you know, just to run business as usual. Yeah, um, it, yeah, it's, and, and they one would assume have uh, like the, the the government's ear and everything, and even 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 with that, they they, they have to. Um, you know the, the the amount of effort it takes to to do something outside that that's that's amazing that that really really puts things in perspective. Yeah, it's it's um of of the world's most developed nations is probably the strictest right now. Um, and it's it's been a a, a massive surprise, but at the same time, it just does not surprise me it's so it's so typical uh for japan on on these types of things um i can just only hope that uh our patience with it will um will pay off dividends uh at at the same time i i'm very conscious that i don't want to ride too much weight on on this idea of getting to japan and um you know how that's going to make me feel inspiration wise video wise and other stuff i don't want to put too much weight on that if if it doesn't happen like i'm i'm kind of hoping i don't want to romanticize it too much you know yeah i i I get what you mean because you don't want to ultimately uh set things up for disappointment yeah and to to have that that anticipation kind of flourish on your channel where even it it, it, it would just disappoint so many uh viewers as well Mm mm-hmm so I, I totally get that. Um, it's, um, it, 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 your line of work. Um, th- there's a say, I think there's a saying for, uh, poker players and, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but, it, you know, poker, if you're making a profession out of poker playing, it's, uh, it, it is the most difficult way to make an easy living. Um, and that's kind of holds true for, uh, for anybody who's a create a YouTube creator. It's, it's on the surface. It looks like it's the easy life, but yeah. the amount of effort that you're putting into, uh, you know, your, your time management, your budget management, the, mm-hmm. uh, and, and of course your, your various, uh, stores and you know you, you have to have multiple streams of income coming yep. in and um 
and just just one disruption like all it takes is for one advertiser to uh get something up their crawl and all of a sudden youtube slams the door on so mm-hmm. many uh, of its creators and, and yeah. it's, it's anything can happen it, it, it is it is yeah definitely crazy. um i mean i've i've always taken the approach um like from the from the get go, I've I've always been aware of the fact that anything can happen, and that YouTube owes me nothing. the The algorithm they owe you nothing um, on on all platforms. As much as you invest your work into them, and you you know may feel certain ways, uh, at the end of it, they owe you nothing. And you know if you're if you're to complain about say an algorithm on things, to me the way that I always look at it is. The algorithm is a representation of people. It's it's general personal viewing habits. And so if things aren't necessarily going the way that I would hope, um, I think of it more societal. I'm like, okay, so how how is this not reaching what the general mass consensus is on, you know, opinion of things or or other stuff? So for example, if throughout the summer, and, and this is a, a repeat thing, um, views are down and everything's you know looking downward and depressing, uh, I take a look inward and I think, well, am I watching YouTube? Am I participating in viewing things? And I realize, no, I'm not. I'm I'm outside. I'm I'm doing stuff. I'm I'm not at home watching YouTube. So why can I? Why would I expect other people to watch the same for me? Um, and so you realize these like, like seasonal traits about things, and then there's also just cultural shifts and things that happen. Um, even the fact that there are so many more photography YouTube channels out. And so uh, I've always had this approach that, um, yes, things will be hard, but don't make it harder for yourself by complaining on it. And likewise, even if um, if ever I was to sort of complain or have a whinge about it, the people who hear it, they're not the people who need to hear it. Because I find it so funny when you, you see people who complain like, oh, my views are down and they're, they're saying it on video. And yet the people who are watching it, they're the ones who are giving them views. And so yeah. it, it's just the wrong crowd to be talking to. Um, but that that doesn't stop it being frustrating, for sure. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm wearing, like you said, a, a, a budget cap. I'm doing the marketing. I'm doing the the planning, the uh, the presenting, the editing, the, you know, the logistics, operations. There's so much happening. Um, and uh Again, I, I always feel fortunate for the uh, the background that I have in graphic design and uh, with photography and, and other stuff. It, it means that I have intrinsic connections and skills to the things that make a YouTube channel. You know, I, because I've had a passion for cameras, I've known how cameras work. And so I've been able to have a, a bit of a faster learning curve on making video. Um, and because I had a background in design, I could design and produce hopefully aesthetically pleasing graphics and visuals um, that potentially give me a bit more of an edge on things. But at the same time, that level of uh, creative history I have can also be a bit of a downfall because some of the greatest channels out there are so great because they are just naturally, like they have that that natural flair, even if their visuals are crap. Like if, if their thumbnails may look awful, they have no typographic sense everything like that and yet they have this this charisma that shines through in the videos and so those really do have strength in story um and and so 
kind of losing track of myself here, but the um, the frustrations that I I maybe have where I'm I'm doing so much is because I'm paying attention to so many things. Uh, when in in actual case, I may get greater success if I just discard some stuff. If I lower, you know, my standard on on some things, um, it may allow extra things to happen. Uh, yeah, there's so much thought and and uh, psychoanalysis that happens from from running a YouTube channel, and on the face of it. Watching a video, it seems so easy and it looks so fun. Um, and yet that in a, in a sense is I've done my job correctly then. Because if I've if I've made it look effortless, if you get to the end of the video and you're like, oh, that that flowed, that worked. If you haven't been frustrated by, you know, choppiness, jarriness in the video, then it's because the video has been edited well. Um so it's again, it's a double-edged sword. You do too well on on certain things and it comes across as you know, you look really, really lucky and, and whatever, when actual fact you've just worked to make that your luck. Right. Um, just to kind of wrap things up, uh, where w- with the world changing, um, mm-hmm. with travel being such a ever-evolving thing now, where do you where do you want to take your channel to next? Like what, what are some plans that you're envisioning as far as like, uh, visiting or maybe, uh, adding to, or maybe even subtracting? Um, yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because this is a, this is the, the chaos of my mind, uh, <laughs> frequently and has been for years. Um, because I have so many interests in, in various different things, I, I have so many different avenues that I could take the channel down. And they always contend with each other on, uh, you know, do I want to make it more more photography-based? Do I want to make it more tech photography-based? Uh, do I want to make it just more lifestyle, just more travel? Um, you know, I have all these these personal interests and things like golf, for example. Play a lot of golf, never really show it on the channel. Um, but I've started to share it in other places and people have taken a lot of interest in it. So, you know, there, there are all these different directions and if I'm honest, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, my current focus and in my most recent video that I, uh, I put out, I think it was just last week, but was actually filmed a couple of months back, um, was an approach to improving my photography is actually, me stepping away from doing photography vlogs. Uh, so what I've found is when, when I look at my photography and if I want to improve it and I've wanted, you know, I can see clearly in all of the images I take, I can see clearly how I would do it better if I had the chance again. Um, and a recurring thing that happens is because I'm also making a video about taking those photos that immediately splits my mind into two places. I'm thinking about the video narrative. I'm thinking about the photo narrative. And I've also got two cameras on me. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I like photography on Fujifilm. doesn't work so well for video. So always having two cameras and needing both of those cameras to in order to feature the other camera in the content. Um, and so this recurring thing that I've found is that one of them is always holding back the other. Uh, if I'm out taking photos and doing things, I can't necessarily make the best video of that travel destination possible because I'm also uh, focusing on photos. If I want to improve my photos, there's a certain limit I get to 
where I'm held back because I'm also thinking about the narrative in video. And so I, I come in waves of this, of, of wanting to improve one or the other. And at the moment, I'm wanting to improve my photography and just kind of find some different style and, and approach things slightly differently. And so my way of doing that is actually by stepping back from the video side of it and finding a different way of sharing my photos um, through the videos. So it, the channel is potentially going to open up a little bit more uh, on a personal level, and that might actually just ease things a little bit. Um, I think I became very conscious that I wanted the channel to to be known as a photography channel. Um, I think I I maybe had some some deep down uh, frustrations where I felt like the channel was never properly seen as a photography channel, um, even to the point where all the major camera brands, for example. Um, I don't really have connection with. And, you know, it's only Fujifilm in particular, Fujifilm Japan and Fujifilm Australia, where I've, I've ever had a, a deep connection. But Fujifilm UK, eh, they, uh, you know, they, they don't really, I don't think they see my channel uh, as photography. And so it's frustrating because I, I use Fuji all the time and yet it's just not ever seen that way. And, and other brands as well, it's... Um, so I, I became conscious that I, I think I was thinking that the channel wasn't seen as a photography channel. And so I went hard into every video having some sort of photography narrative and, and spin to it. And over a few years or so, um, it starts to like lean away from where the channel originally started, which was just me exploring things, uh, especially when it came to the travel side of things. Um, and it's okay if a video is not a photography-focused video because people have subscribed for for me it's it's my name on the channel it's it's my experience and other stuff um so i think the channel may fall into line of being the lifestyle of a photographer rather than a photography channel um you know the, there's plenty of extra stories and logistics to tell of doing those travels without even taking a photo um, yeah <clears throat> so yeah we'll, we'll see we'll see how it how it goes but uh, again, I think I'm, I'm potentially riding a lot of hope and optimism on Japan opening up, um, that that will be a, an opportunity to, to experiment in new directions because I know that Japan as a focus and a feature on the channel, that's going to be the familiar thing. So if I start introducing new changes and other stuff, it's not going to be too different because people are already there wanting Japan. So the, the timing of it feels, feels right on it. Um, but again, that that just adds to uh, you know the the desperation of wanting to get there because it's, it's it's almost well it's just out of reach. It's um, yeah, make that like a, a connecting narrative thread, kind of like a, a, the series a television series where uh, you you have your regular episode, but there's always that connective tissue that kind of connects all the episodes together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and there's there's so many different running threads and and other stuff. Um, and I think in in some instance, uh, I maybe just held onto the the photography thread a little too tightly. Um, not to say that you know it's it's going to stop being a photography channel. Definitely not that at all. Um, but I think people are, you know, people are open to to exploring deeper in the videos, and and I want to share deeper, and I you know want to share more um on on different things and by effectively 
I guess, making the, the same type of video, like a photography vlog um, over and over. Uh, I, I still enjoy making them. I still love making them, but I can see that if things carry on, uh, there could come to a point where I, I won't enjoy making them. And I don't want that to ever happen. I don't want to lose um, that passion for it and feel like I'm I'm forcing myself to do it. Um, so it's almost like a, a quit while you're ahead type of situation, except it, it's not quit. It's like uh, slow down a little bit whilst you're ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. And, uh, and, and hey, if anything else, uh, you could always add food to it because you guys – seem to go to some really awesome restaurants yeah so uh yeah ellie's a massive foodie um funnily enough i was really fussy with food growing up but um the the 10 years or so that we've been together i've, I've really transitioned and um come to appreciate and understand the different you know qualities and varieties of food um to the point that i, I wouldn't say i'm a fussy eater anymore um not at all so uh yeah uh, and food is food is the the language of the world, really. Um, you know, communities come together on on food on all corners of the globe. Um, yes. So uh, yeah, definitely will be uh, quite a focus, I think. Right on, and um, man, I, we could go on and on. Uh, man, there, <laughs> there's just so much that I that I want to ask, uh, but we'll have to save it for another show. But uh, thank you so much for taking this. Uh, I mean, at the time we're recording this uh, this uh, Saturday, uh, where we're both experiencing crazy amounts of heat. You more than I. Uh, <laughs> so good luck uh, this weekend to yeah. To, thank you to you and to the rest of your continent. <laughs> yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be spreading the message of hydrate to everyone. Um, it's gonna be hot. <laughs> oh man I, 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 I thoughts and prayers to, to you guys yeah um, and and uh, invest in air conditioners <laughs> oh man if if only uh, I'm I'm just melting right now uh, there's no way of really retrofitting it <laughs> I uh, for, for my house I actually got a bunch of uh, standalone units that just hook a hose to uh, your window oh, okay yeah and uh oh world of difference i mean i just, i mean you know i've still got time on this one one thing i discovered uh which is very very interesting kind of nerdy uh but super simple is uh i think i i maybe discovered this from a, a video actually um but they didn't explain it but i, I had to go and, and work it out and effectively what it takes is get a regular like standing fan you know like a, a desk fan or something and point it out of an open window sounds completely counterintuitive but if you point that fan out of an open window with a bit of distance between the fan and the window what happens is it pushes the air out of the room and my understanding of it is that when you when you remove the air and uh, hot always moves hot energy always transfers to cold it's warmer inside, and so that hot is diluting with the cold outside, but it's creating room for air to move around in your sort of flat, in your room. And so that greater airflow lowers the temperature, and honestly, within a minute or two, pointing a fan out the open window, it's a couple of degrees cooler, and it's, it's been magic. I'm, I'm loving it. It's oh, so good. Totally. Get the air circulation going. If you yeah. can uh, get... 
the air, if you haven't opened enough space uh, on, on the opposite side, have the air coming in. And then mm-hmm. uh, on the opposite side, have the air going out. Yep. And, yeah, you uh, almost need like a some sort of suction, like vacuum, bringing it in. Yeah. And then, and then, then you have yourself a wind tunnel. <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, oh yeah, there were plenty of tricks that I had in, in my house, and, but nothing works better than the the, the AC unit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, it, 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 be safe out there, and uh, and once once again, thank you so much for for uh, being on the show. But before you go, uh, why don't you tell the world where they could find you on Instagram and on, on YouTube? Uh, sure. Um, well, yeah. First of all, thanks for thanks for having me. I really appreciate. It. Always, you know, happy to chat, travel, cameras, food, all sorts. Um, <laughs> And uh, for those of you who also want to join in with the conversation, um, I can be found on YouTube. That's Joe Allum. And likewise, on Instagram, Twitter, um, pretty much all the all the socials. Uh, username is just at Joe Allum. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Very good. So anyway, thank you so much again. And uh, we'll, we'll bring you back next time. And, and hey, if you do end up using the the 33 millimeter or the xh2 and uh want to give your thoughts uh definitely come back on the show because i'd be really curious to see what you have to say yeah no that'd be fun uh yeah i appreciate it thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed the show and i hope to see you back next week i wanted to also mention one more time that this is brought to you by fuji love magazine For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, head on over to fujilove.com. Subscribe today. And my name is Mark Sadowski. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter. Mostly Instagram, though. I'm at Mark Sadowski. That's Mark with a C. And you can also check out my other podcast, X-Mark. It's a Fujifilm-esque kind of show, where it's more spice of life and pretty infrequent. But if you want more of my voice... That's the place to check it out. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.